criteria that people are deemed um, appointed and maybe not appointed on. And right now, I don't think we have a system in place that allows um, judicial appointments to be transparent. So I think that's what we really need to do. Mm -hmm. I would agree. I think that's pretty fair. I mean, the, the federal goal is quite a bit to improve transparency in the appointments to the Supreme Court, uh, and, you know, to the extent that you can go online and read all the applications, for example. Um, but the, the provincial court appointments and, and Supreme Court appointments uh, remain somewhat veiled in mystery behind the sealed doors of the CMO. Well, one thing I don't want to remain veiled in any type of sealed mystery is this next cider. Why don't we give that one a shot? All right. This. This is the raspberry hibiscus cider from Truck 59 Cider House. I think it, I'm most excited for this one, just based on the fact that it's raspberry hibiscus. And, and the fact that it's like really Adorable. Dalmatian? Aw. Very cute. Oh, you can see it on the side. It's sitting inside the can. Oh, cute. One side has his back, and the other side has his front. That's pretty adorable. Aww. All right, well, let's pour him out. All right. Cheers. Cheers. So right off the bat, I'm going to say that it has a very strong smell. I'm going to throw off. But once you actually taste it, it's very, I have to taste it. Very yeah, it's really sweet. It's not as dry as the last one. Yeah. No. It's, it does have this like, very powerful astringent kind of hibiscus smell to it. Oh, it does, yeah. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but uh, it is beautiful. Like, the, the color of it is a really nice, I guess, garnet. Uh, yeah, it is really nice. It actually, when you pour it, it kind of looks like cream soda. I commented. Yeah, like this is quite a cream soda-looking drink. It's vibrant pink almost. Showing our Western bias here is uh, out east, out in New Brunswick, where all this went down. Uh, cream soda is white. Yeah, that's a little known fact. I have no idea. Well, still out in New Brunswick, Dominic Blanc is uh, being found in a conflict of interest over a lucrative fishing license. So, so now things are trying to look a little bit worse for Mr. Blanc, right? Yeah. So, and, and there is some like useful political context to be aware of here, uh, and that is that. Donald LeBlanc is the son of former Governor General Romeo LeBlanc, who himself was a cabinet minister in the senior Trudeau's administration. Uh, LeBlanc and Trudeau are basically the same age and grew up together in Ottawa. Uh, they apparently used to play together as their fathers were both, you know, governing the country. Uh, and they remain very fast friends ever since, uh, including Trudeau giving LeBlanc quite a bit of power and quite a bit of responsibility uh, in his cabinet during the first years, in spite of uh, LeBlanc kind of flubbing up a, uh, a file or two during fisheries file, and also while House Leader not being a particularly strong uh, shepherd of legislation through the House, which is why that position is now held by one uh, Barnish Chagger. Well, the plot thickens of that. It sounds like these appointments may not be so innocent anymore. I don't think we can blame this one on being from a small town. Yeah, so he does have a bit of a history. So not only does uh, he manage to appoint someone who like, bought his house to the, the bench, but this lucrative Arctic surf clam license uh, went to a company linked to his wife's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the great Arctic surf clam license scandal. Really not sounding too great. So it has been granted to the Five Nations Clam Company, uh, and Dominic LeBlanc was apparently aware of Thoreau's extensive involvement in the fishing industry, Thoreau being uh, the person who uh, was apparently benefiting financially from this surf clam license. Uh, and the fact that he raised it with Mr. LeBlanc prior to uh, the name appearing and the proposal being submitted was improper according to conflict of interest rules. Jeez, this is quite a, uh, you know, lucrative license to hold. It's worth about $24 million in sales per year, which is a lot of money. I would like That's that license. I know. I guess it pays to be a clam dealer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of clams. It's, it's a cool. lot of clams. Yeah, I had no idea that they were... Um, so sought after and desired, but uh, I guess Asian the Asian market really enjoys these and and uses them quite a bit in their uh, cooking. So, well, uh, yeah. the license ended up getting canceled. Ah! Apparently, had nothing to do with this investigation. Oh, apparently. Yeah, I call a little bit of bullshit, but um, yeah, this investigation is rosé. Ooh, I was looking at this um can from a distance, and is that a baby's head coming out of an apple with legs? It definitely is. It definitely is. The baby is wearing sunglasses because babies have very sensitive eyes. High heels. That's a very disturbing can design. It is. It's kind of odd. Yeah, like I love the color scheme. It's yep. funky. I the like color it. scheme is really cool. But the baby, I think we should really change that. The baby is unsettling. Yeah. I like how weird it is. This is the Windfall Cider's Hail Mary Rosé Cider. Fall in love at first blush. A delicate blend of juicy apples and ripe local berries. This bright rosé cider is seriously dry with notes of crabapple, rose petal, and green melon. Hmm, sounds good. On the sliding scale of dryness uh, from dry to sweet, it is right on the border between dry and medium dry. Okay, well, pour it up and let's see how dry this is exactly. This one looks a little bit more like the traditional cream soda from the East Coast. 
there's like a little orange hint to it. A little. It doesn't look like a rosé, that's for sure. It's a little bit more yellow and cider-like than a rosé. Yeah, I can agree with that. Oh, here we go. Oh, I, like I do not like this. Um, Matthew, you've liked a lot of things on this program that were questionable. Let's never forget the bitters episode with the pharmacy grade alcohol that you seem to enjoy. Everybody else was gagging. Yeah, so, and you don't like this. Oh, yeah, I still, have, I still have shell shock from that. Was that um, the bitter that you got from pharmacy? Yeah. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, it was scary. So, it's, it's remarkable that you don't like this, given your track record of things that you do like. I think I like this one the most, maybe. Me too. This one's nice. I would it's, definitely sip on this. Yeah, it's it's like sweet, but it's not too sweet. It's dry, not too dry. It's pretty good. I like this one. There's actually. like a weird metallic taste I'm getting from it. Like it's it's kind of like melony. It's kind of like rose petals, and also kind of tastes to me like the smell that you get when you're watering plants with that pool that's been chlorinated, and it's because of that kind of. Mm. I'm not picking that up. Yeah, I'm not picking that either. So, I mean, I think maybe it's just the baby in sunglasses head <laughs> that's throwing you off. But this one's pretty good. I'm gonna say this one's alright, but we're gonna have to disagree or agree to disagree rather, I guess, on this one. Um, another thing that uh, provinces have been agreeing to disagree on is how they are enforcing cannabis impaired driving laws. Or whether they're yeah, as is the case here in British Columbia. So there have been actually zero criminal code cannabis impaired driving charges since legalization. It's been almost a year now. Uh, so, you know, there's a few theories floating around about why that is. Um, the first one, of course, is that we're all perfect angels here in British Columbia. Yep. No one has ever, ever, in this province, smoked a joint and got behind the wheel. That's not something that we'd ever do, would ever think of doing. Oh, but wait. There was a driver recently caught by the Sandage Police Department speeding through a school zone, actively smoking a joint, and then he threw it out of the window. Oh my gosh, that guy wasn't criminally charged. He should have, okay, if for no other reason, I think he should have been criminally charged with, like, endangering life for throwing a lit joint out the window during fire season. <laughs> like, that is my primary objective to this whole thing. Yes, yeah, so like, burn hundreds of children to death. Well, Matthew, to make you feel better, he did get a bylaw to get under the Wildfire Act for unlawfully disposing of a burning substance, but he didn't get any tickets related to cannabis. Nothing. Well, I, I think that is in part because we don't have very good technology for the testing of impairment. Like the the drug, like the drug recognition expert test is a little ridiculous, mm -hmm. uh, both on the roadside and back at the station, which is what the theoretical progression of things would be. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also, admittedly, have an IRP system that uh, was intended on diverting a large amount of criminal charges from the liquor-impaired driving mm -hmm. regime into an administrative regime. That's right. Uh, and one thing that we have dealt with is marijuana or drug-impaired uh, administrative prohibition. Yes, but those are only 24-hour driving prohibitions. There's actually not a drug IRP scheme in place as of yet. But I think that you're pointing out a really good um, thing here, which is that police officers in this province, in my view, have been essentially de-skilled because of our administrative schemes, which is that they have now been allowed to conduct these very quick roadside investigations that take no more than 30 minutes. They're not familiar with doing impaired driving investigations for alcohol anymore, and they certainly don't want to dive into impaired driving investigations for drugs. So I think that that actually might identify one of the main reasons why police in BC are a little bit gun-shy. In terms of words. <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with the police being kept pretty shy of their guns and or tasers. But, uh, in terms of like investigational rigor, I think you are absolutely right in that um, like we see a lot of people who have uh, had investigations performed that were not up to the standards of the charter or to the, the administration or to the, the standards of due process that are guaranteed under the charter. Um, and, and that means that people who buy all rights should be prosecuted and, and successfully convicted across the province uh, could very well be getting off because they don't have an investigation that is, is done in accordance with their human rights or their, their constitutional rights uh, being conducted against them. Yeah, um, but of course this is, these are new laws, right? Like these laws were just introduced in um, October. They're brand new under Bill C-46 uh, with respect to um, cannabis impaired driving anyways. So, you know, charter interpretation is an issue, but we don't really have any case law yet on it. So I'm not quite sure why we aren't charging. No, other provinces are. Ontario, there's 100 criminal impaired cannabis charges. Uh, and then next door in our neighbors in Alberta, there's eight already. So what's going on here in BC? I think you're right. I think it's, it goes back to that police officers in BC have gotten very comfortable with administrative administrative schemes that we do have. And I think that's probably just making them uncomfortable and we just don't have the skill sets to go ahead and lay charges with the criminal code. And that's probably what the issue is here because let's be serious. Um, it's not the case for nobody in British Columbia. It's not, um, you know, driving with driving impaired drivers. For sure. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the other possibility, which is an interesting one, is maybe police in BC are just so reasonable, liberal, left-leaning, <laughs> <laughs> that 
that they are conducting a silent protest by inaction against these unjust and unconstitutional cannabis and driving laws. Wah, wah. Silence! <laughs> I guess no comment on that, right? Yeah, no Doesn't seem likely. Mm -hmm. Well, that... <laughs> what is likely is another drink. And what is likely is another drink and none of us are driving home, so let's check out the Okanagan Apple Cider's Harvest Pair. Born in D.C. A 5.0 alcohol by volume cider from the Okanagan Cider Company in Delta. Ooh, Delta! <laughs> How exotic. <laughs> All the way from just slightly closer than Surrey. <laughs> yeah. This one is quite, um... Clear, really. Yes. Has no color to it. Though I think a little less orange than the last one. You people haven't uh, realized we have been drinking our way through the pride flag. Yeah, we have we been. Have. Yeah, you're right. We got uh, red. We have this kind of pinky. Yeah, now we're into yellow. Yes, the harvest pear, a very, very clear. Well, let's give the harvest pear a shot. Okay, I mean, I really like this one. It's very, very sweet, but I found that all of the Okanagan ciders are usually this way. They tend to be. It's very fruit yeah, forward. Very fruit forward. Yeah. yeah. You can really taste that pear. I mean, like, I, I love pear and. This tastes quite a bit like drinking a fermented version of the like yellow little fruit cups. Yes, yeah, totally. It's the juice from the fruit cups. It's yeah. the syrup. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Great, fruity, bubbly, effervescent, and delightful. Yeah, it is. I mean, this pan is the least pleasing to me because it looks like the pan is wearing a Boston Bruins jersey. Oh. Right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. It's like an unfortunate Boston Bruins bumblebee. <laughs> so I'm not into that, but the taste is really quite good. It's my favorite, I think, so far. Mm -hmm. For me, it's just way too sweet. I can't handle um, the amount of like sweet that you have to take. And I will almost describe it to like, I don't know, taking like a spoonful of sugar. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, it's, it's very sweet. It's a lot like drinking yeah. syrup. Yeah. Uh, and I. I don't know that I could finish a whole pub with this. No, I don't think so either. But for like a sip, this is probably my favorite sip so far. Yeah. And because there is no way to segue into it, uh, conversion therapy is <laughs> <laughs> from sweet to bitter. <laughs> Though uh, I'm glad that we got to discuss the pride uh, rainbow of ciders because, uh, well, pride is a drink that is not nearly finished steeping. Uh, <laughs> it really, gay rights in, in Canada, LGBT rights, uh, still have a long way to go. Uh, and among those challenges is the presence of conversion therapy. Now, conversion therapy is nonsense that. Uh, bigots will use to basically torture gay children. That's yeah, horrifying. Um, to convert them, you know, as if being gay was like joining a church, uh, to a different sexuality, uh, which is not a thing that happens. I mean, I'm shocked that conversion therapy or attempts at it still happen. But I'm shocked by a lot of things lately because I saw a statistic the other day as well that said that one in four Canadians don't agree with same-sex marriage rights. That's crazy. Yeah. In fact, um, Research Co., uh, a comedy based here, American Psycho's comedy based here, and friend of the Candy Report and Horror Ghost, our sister podcasts, uh, recently polled people in Metro Vancouver uh, and found that almost two in three people support uh, same-sex marriage here. Uh, almost. Which is that's, yeah, that's kind of shocking, actually. So, I mean, it sounds like it's pretty much on par with the national statistic that one in four are opposed to it. I mean, how can you be opposed to same-sex marriage in the year 2019 and not be just a total asshole? Well, um, it's not to make excuses for people by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but, like, the, the poll found that opposition to same-sex marriage was clustered in immigrant communities or uh, mm -hmm. new Canadian communities. Okay, yeah. Um, in particular, uh, South Asian and East Asian communities had around 41 and 42% approval of same-sex marriage. Uh, Canadians of European descent uh, averaged 71% okay. approval, uh, which... So like 30% of, uh, of, you know, white Canadians are kind of assholes? Yeah, but that, checks out. <laughs> that, checks, that out. checks out. That actually does check out. That checks out. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So maybe it's not that shocking after all when you break it down that way. Although, heartingly, uh, of the one-third of people who don't agree with same-sex marriage, only one-fifth of people overall would change the law. So there is a section of people who disagree with the law but don't want to see it changed. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Which I'm fine with. Whatever. I mean, you managed to, like, mush your brain into a cognitive dissonance that uh, has somehow managed to arrive at the correct public policy outcome, so who am I to argue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, conversion therapy. Yeah. Not great. Yeah, so among the, you know, one-third of... Uh, people who are assholes uh, and don't like gay people, uh, there can be a smaller section of them who are so offended by the fact that their child could be gay um, <laughs> that they are basically willing to put their child through a mental torture uh, in order to try and convince them that they are not gay. Uh, it doesn't work, and it has been banned in a number of jurisdictions in the United States, uh, including, pardon me, some of them by referendum, which 
you know, like, history of referendums talk about school for basically everything. But it's nice to see that a population can come together and be like, we should not torture gay children. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how anybody thinks murder therapy even would be a thing. Like, how, how on earth? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, Who's doing this? Who, I don't know if these people have ever, like, met a gay person. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're out there. We know they are. Um, but it's scary to think that this is still going on. So the reason that this is in the news at the moment is the BC government has asked the federal government to add conversion therapy uh, to the criminal code as a crime. It's a very interesting approach. It is an interesting approach. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily the right approach, like to add a specific offense to commit conversion therapy. I, I mean, do we, in what, I think you could probably encompass these within a couple of other, like performing an unlicensed medical procedure or uh, yeah, I mean, unlawful as a, confinement. Yeah, as a criminal lawyer, I'm kind of wondering how you prove the elements of conversion therapy. Like, don't you think that if you were so inclined to be a conversion therapist, that you would find a way to shroud this in non-conversion therapy jargon? You know, uh, I just don't know how you would ever successfully have a prosecution on this unless it was very clear-cut that that was the goal of the therapy, was to change the sexual orientation of the subject. Um, I mean, I... I'm against this policy, or sorry, rather this practice, I should say. Um, conversion therapy is clearly evil and horrible and torturous. Um, but approaching it from this perspective, I, I, don't, I don't really know how that would look. It's, I, I think there's a, a good thing for, for people to consider in so much as, like, keeping the criminal code clear of clutter. Like, not to over-criminalize stuff, not to, um, for example, there was no need to ban street racing in the criminal code when dangerous driving also existed. Mm -hmm. Like, th those two, if, you, if your conduct reaches the level where you should be charged under the criminal code, for your driving offenses, there doesn't seem like a need to have this additional offense. Um, but my question is, what offenses would we rely on, existing offenses would we rely on then, to charge somebody in relation to a conversion therapy plot? Um, I, I think unlawful confinement and possibly fraud. But for unlawful confinement, you have to be able to show that the person um, was being unlawfully confined. Um, and I think that in many of these cases, perhaps the subject doesn't become aware of the trauma that they've experienced at the right. hands of that type of therapy until much later on. Right. So it would take a lot for especially a minor or a person in a vulnerable position to say, I don't want to be here, I'm going to leave, in that type of circumstance. So I don't know if that would particularly work. So the, the reason that this discussion is even taking place is the BC government uh, specifically wrote a letter to Justin Trudeau's liberals asking them to reform the criminal code to uh, include conversion therapy. This is in part related to a letter that Attorney General David Lametti sent to provincial governments in June urging the provinces to halt conversion therapy. Uh, the letter describes them, uh, practitioners of conversion therapy, as uh, discredited and the uh, object being to prevent, punish, and deter the discredited practice. There is a movement across Canada to restrict or condemn practices that seek to change sexual orientation. Addressing the availability of conversion therapy is a complex issue. No one jurisdiction can end this dangerous practice alone. And I would agree with that. I mean, if you are somebody who is, you know, so anti-LGBTQ, um, and you find out that your child has gay leanings, we'll put it that way, uh, would a provincial order really stop you from sending them out to have conversion therapy if you really wanted them to pursue that? I don't think so. So if it's available somewhere, you're going to go ahead and access those resources for your child. So I do think we need to end this. I just don't know if the criminal code is the right way to do it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think it's going to be effective because who are the people that are even going to, like, most likely going to engage in these discussions of conversion therapy? Even children. I don't think they're going to be even aware that they can punish their parents with conversion therapy. Like, who would they complain to about this? And would they even know that it's going on? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great question. How, how does conversion therapy work? I mean, I don't know enough about the issue to even know whether or not a participant, or rather, you know, uh, subject, I should say, uh, in the conversion therapy process would be aware of the purpose of the therapy. Do, do they know? Are they informed? Is there informed consent? Is that consent, yeah. you know? Well, like, from my understanding, there's quite a bit of people who end up going to conversion therapy are typically people who have spent their lives growing up in a situation where, like, not only is being gay seen as sinful, but it's, like, so sinful as to completely overwhelm the brains of their parents. Like, it's, it's so problematic that, like, their parents spent a ton of time thinking about this, which, I mean... So even being hit the I don't want to understand. Like, how does this even work? <laughs> we need more information about <laughs> conversion therapy. Well, this is a very difficult topic, and uh, obviously conversion therapy is one of the worst things maybe possible to imagine. Yeah. Now, segueing in a very untasteful manner, you probably want to try something that might not be the worst thing you've ever imagined. Yeah. Our so next this is our... <laughs> Me too. Uh, Jameson, triple distilled Irish whiskey, ginger, and lime. Okay, sorry, let's give it a go. Jameson, I didn't know that Jameson did cider. cider. Yeah, I had no idea. It's, it's a 
The ingredients are water, Irish whiskey, sugar, glucose, fructose, natural flavors, citric acid, sodium, benzonates. Okay, so it's more like a whiskey cocktail in a can. Yeah. Okay, well, let's give it a go. It's not especially green, but the bottle, the, the can is green. The can is green, yeah. This is quite a dark amber color. Very nice. <laughs> I'm not a good whiskey drinker, so. Well, today you're gonna have to give it a little taste. Okay, yeah. let's give it a go. Let's see how this one is. Maybe we can convert you to. Boom! <laughs> okay, this is, however, I'm not gonna boo this drink. This drink's actually really good. Yeah, this drink is very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm into this. A few ice cubes in here, and I think it'll be perfect. Mm -hmm. Oh, Matthew's really being a hater today. I, I mean, I knew I wasn't gonna like it that much because I don't like ginger that much. Oh, okay, like ginger, me too. But I need to complete the pride flag because I am a completist if nothing else. So. Yes, well, I like this one a lot. However, I don't think it's anything that special. I think if you're being lazy and you just want like a ginger ale whiskey yeah. drink, you buy this. Otherwise, you just like make it at home with ginger ale and whiskey. Yeah, yeah that's honestly what I think. Like, yeah, very good stuff. I can't even taste. I can't even taste the wine. I can. It's there a little bit. I mean, it is a drink of convenience, right? Yeah. Like you pick this up, you bring it down to you know the beach or a barbecue or whatever. This is like an easy way to have your whiskey ginger ale. Yeah, yeah, and it tastes good. Yeah, so it's fine. It's quite good. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's not good, however, yes. back into the conversion therapy <laughs> conversation, because I think that maybe one of the things that we need to talk about as well is that if criminal laws were passed in relation to conversion therapy, I mean, the constitutional challenges to those laws would be probably immediate. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is partially because conversion therapy is usually couched in religious terms. For sure. It's rooted in religion. So we have these competing interests now, right, of the freedom to practice your religion, and then, of course, your freedom of sexual orientation and expression. And we see those uh, conflicts in rights and, and rights clash cases come up often when it comes mm -hmm. to, in particular, uh, rights to sexual orientation and gender identity, so rights to uh, security of person and self-expression, uh, versus religious rights. Uh, we saw it a couple of years ago when a uh, hairdresser refused to cut a, uh, a lesbian woman's hair uh, because she wanted a men's haircut and went into a men's barbershop that you know, said that they were only willing to cut men's hair. Where did that happen? That happened in Toronto. Okay, so it's a Canadian case. Yeah. And was, was she denied the haircut based on religion? Yeah, so the, a lot of the people who were there were uh, like very strictly observant uh, Muslims, uh, and they said that they had a prohibition on touching any woman aside from someone who they were married with. Right. Okay. Do you uh, know what ultimately happened in that case? Because I've never actually heard of this case, but it's very interesting. Yeah, the, they actually ended up, I think, Having the hair in different locations. <laughs> um, but the, the point of it, and here's where I will insert the actual thing that happened. Uh, I, I need to bring all this up actually. Okay, I mean, look that up before we can continue this conversation. Oh, it's a Canadian podcast. <laughs> I just got that Charity Western review that it says the woman's not supposed to listen. Oh, we're going to be looking at the Charity Western. Also, I saw a lot of Charity Western shirts about like, you know, like a waxing salon that was like being like, really sponsored by the church. Yeah. What is it? I don't know. Like trans, trans women who can't, like, kind of have body surgery much and they were like suing like a waxing salon because the teacher wanted to wear flats. Oh, okay. But like the waxer was like, well, I, I'm not comfortable touching a woman in a flare gun. Yeah. And also, like, I don't like, don't think I can like, like, pop them. Balls are fucking gross. Sorry, I'm yeah. So, <laughs> she was like, the skin there is like different, so like not right. comfortable using wax, like yeah, yeah she didn't want to wax balls. Yeah, she like you know she was like I don't care if they're gonna have like male, female, trans, like I don't give a shit, but I can't yeah. wax balls. Yeah, like, I just have to wax balls. Right. We talk about that. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah. Tell us what happened. So right. Matthew, um, so what happened in that case? It's very, very interesting. What happened? So when this woman came into the Toronto barbershop, uh, she ended up filing a human rights complaint. Uh, they quietly resolved the issue during a closed door mediation session. Oh, okay, so they didn't actually get to a trial. Yeah, no, no trial, no hearing, uh, no public comment of any kind because it was a closed door mediation session. Okay, uh, interesting. But yes, from, from what I recall, uh, the, the scuttlebutt in the community was that uh, someone who was not as observant, who worked at a different location, uh, offered to cut their hair. But that is, of course, rumor and innuendo, so don't quote me okay. on that specifically. Well, this is, of course, not the only time this kind of rights clash has come up. Oh, gosh, no. All the time. I mean, I think the Trinity Western University is the most notorious example amongst the legal community here in BC, right? Yeah, we had to read that case while we were in Australia, like both of them, the uh, Trinity Western versus College of Teachers mm -hmm. and Trinity Western versus the, the Law Society. Yeah, I mean, I had to go in it as a lawyer here. Um, when it came to the Law Society, I had to vote whether or not I was in favor of allowing students from Trinity Western to be admitted to practice uh, here in British Columbia. Um, and I'll just say this, I don't agree with um, any type of policy that discriminates against people based on their gender or sexual orientation, period. And I think that if you're a person who does, you should have no business practicing law here in British Columbia, period. And maybe that makes me a bit of a bit, but that's how I feel. <laughs> I was perfectly fine with it as long as they go to the NCs. Like a foreign-trained law school, because they're coming from basically another portal. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm going to agree with on this one. I don't want somebody that with that belief system to be practicing law because I go with the argument that there is something that should be promoting equality mm -hmm. um, should not come from a school that teaches otherwise. 
No, and if you're attending that school and you're signing that restrictive covenant, you know, obviously you are at least in some way in agreement with it. And it's discriminatory in my view, period. And a lot of people out there, it is. And people out there, though, however, are who are religious are going to argue with me and say that I'm being discriminatory by not allowing them to practice their religion. But when your religion is a religion of discrimination, I'm sorry, I have no time for it. Well, and, and like, again, my tongue was a little bit in cheek when I was saying, you know, writing MPEs because... Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I don't think anyone was taking that uh, proposal to be a... Yeah, serious <laughs> yeah. policy issue. Uh, but, but uh, like, yeah, you can't, you can't steep someone in the law and also immerse them in a, you know, vat of bigotry. Yeah. I, I mean, I just don't think that those two things go hand in hand. I think the younger lawyers coming up, you know, are agents of change. And obviously there's been a lot of systematic discrimination against a lot of people, identifiable groups, particularly women, gender minorities, you know, gay people, lesbians, trans people, everybody. And I don't want to see our future generation continuing to carry that torch of bigotry. But like, this is not the only time this has come up. There's been another case recently in uh, BC where a esthetician, esthetician. That's right. We needed a lady around here to get that correct. <laughs> so um, when she's esthetizing people, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a totally different thing. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> where you get put under and made over. <laughs> yeah. Actually, for this particular procedure, you probably would want to be put under. Right. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Brazil. It's a country. And a waxing method. Yes. And a esthetician. An esthetician has objected to uh, waxing some ladies' balls. That's right. So. I think she was. It, I think she went in to get a Brazilian, and yes. the esthetician denied, and mm-hmm. didn't feel comfortable um, because this woman mm-hmm. had not gone through, I believe it was surgery. Oh, surgery. Yeah. So it was a matter of I think the esthetician saying that he just didn't feel comfortable performing, you know, the Brazilian on this woman because I guess her not necessarily her anatomy argument was it was safety concerns is what she wanted. Yeah, I mean, I've read a couple of versions of this article, and I think in some of them, you know, she kind of, the there esthetician. Was a, there was a religious uh, element brought into it. Of course, there would be later down the road, but I think that the initial, um, you know, face to face transaction didn't, wasn't hinged in, you know, her deep Baptist roots. I think it was more based in her objection to handling male genitalia, taponically male genitalia, and also to using the particular type of wax they had, strip wax, on testicles, which apparently is not a good combo. Yeah, not a great combo. <laughs> not that, not that I, mean, I don't think I'm breaking it down <laughs> there to say. <laughs> not that female genitalia isn't sensitive, but apparently there's some differences with respect to the skin and thinness, and I don't know, it's a skinny roast now, right? <laughs> oh, it's a good thing we've had at least halfway through the rainbow. We might have to open up another one to continue this conversation. Yes, well, from... No, I can't even make that joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you have to, though, for the benefit of our listeners. <laughs> From balls, from black to, to blueberries. <laughs> oh, see, I was gonna say from balls to blue balls, but I mean, it works either way. Yeah, yeah. the can is blue. Yeah. So, back at Todd Creek, visiting happier times and happier places, Victoria's own coastal blue craft cider with BC blueberries, a refreshing clean Canadian cider with a hint of tartness. Ingredients: apple juice, blueberry juice, maple syrup, and sulfites. Gotta love them. Oh, gotta love the sulfites. Damn sulfites, yes. Gotta keep us from drinking blood and garbage. I mean, that is what they're for. They're legitimate. Yes. Okay. Well, let's give this one a go. Yeah, it's a little more purple. Yeah. Okay, well, cheers. A little more amethyst. Mm-hmm. That's an okay. It's okay, actually. I'm middle of the road on this one. Matthew? It's okay. Matthew? Okay. It's, it's better than that horrible orange one. That the rosé cider? You hated that one I most. Really hated that one so much. <laughs> this can is less disturbing to me than the rosé can. I mean, this one's very graphic. Like, you know, big. There's a lot going on, though. It's, it's yeah. Like, you know what it feels like? Very mom and pop shop. It feels totally, like yeah. the BC government of the 1990s designed this can. Yes, yes. <laughs> it is literal and graphic. Like, it's like, here's a giant apple sitting on top of a bed of blueberries with mountains in the background. Yeah, and it's one of those, like, massive, like, fruit stand signs. Like, it's a fruit stand yeah, sign, yeah. Really yeah, so, I mean, it's no baby's head on top of an apple with legs and high heels. But I love that. That was so, like, funky and weird. It's the actual literal opposite of that can. These two are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is literally a uh, 100% what it is. Uh, yeah. Very literal. The coast, apples and blueberries. But the product itself is pretty decent. I mean, so it's dry. Like that, that is one thing. Is that I, my, my palate has been like hyper sweetened, and so that dryness came as a bit of a shock mm-hmm. uh, as I, I tried the first of this blueberry bonanza. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like this one in terms of like the cider side of things. Um, it's all right. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't drink it again. Yeah, nor would I. <laughs> I think that's a no all around. Well, another no. It's actually kind of growing on me. Like the as the as the like shock to my system from 
like going from sweetness a thousand percent with basically ginger ale uh, down to this. You can taste a little bit more complexity. You can taste like the tannins of the blueberry skins. Uh, I, I like it a little more. I'm not like a huge fan of blueberries in general. So uh, we're both like both of the women staring at each other right now, just like how could someone say something so sacrilegious as not a fan of blueberries? Blueberries are my favorite. They're every woman's favorite fruit. Fact. What? Yeah. And we love them. Ladies love to eat blueberries. Why? We just do. We just love them. No, they're like my favorite snack during the summer. Yeah, they're the best summer snack. All ladies love blueberries. Blackberries and raspberries. Well, so much better. You know, blueberries don't go moldy as fast. They keep in your fridge for longer. That's true. That's true. They're delightful. Well, more for you then. Yeah. There you go. This is this is like a whole window into like. <laughs> Lady life. <laughs> Lady life. What about blueberries? Ladies love blueberries. Stain so much too. It's like raspberries are any better? They're easier to get out. Blueberry, blueberry stain stick. No. I think I'm just gonna. Nothing gets sticks. It's wax. To your balls. <laughs> not my balls. <laughs> <laughs> so back to this. Whoops, that's that's not great. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're almost at the end of the rainbow, guys. Yeah, let's just keep going. End of the rope. End of the There's rainbow. a lot of editing happening here, okay? Like a lot. All right. End of 50 years. The, no, but we didn't even resolve the balls issue. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we haven't resolved the balls issue. It is unresolved. The, it's completely unresolved. I mean, how how do we feel about the story? Whatever the story didn't know was truthful or if it was a hoax or not. Um. So like I'm I, I, I'm so conflicted on it, and, and actually this is among the things that I. Uh, kept thinking when the, the haircut issue came up, which was how violently and, and virulently the gay community reacted against the person who was asking for a haircut. Oh. Um, like, and maybe I, I just have a particularly conservative cadre of gay friends, but I, that is not my perception of things. My thought is that because of the way that gay people in Canada were granted their rights through this very Canadian progress system of compromise and half measures and compromise again, um, C-38, the bill that legalized same-sex marriage back in 2005, mm -hmm. was introduced by Paul Martin in a speech that like made very, very clear that there were clear exceptions being carved out for people who were of religious faith. No one had to perform a same-sex marriage if mm -hmm. you didn't want to. No one had to get married in a same-sex couple if you didn't want to. You know, there's no mandatory gay marriage for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, but like that compromise formed the basis of gay rights in Canada, LGBT rights in Canada, for uh, at least in terms of like the grounding pinnacle of what was then perceived to be the gesture d'existence mm -hmm. of, of uh, legal achievement, which is getting the right to marry, mm -hmm. uh, which is federal recognition, mm -hmm. and that. Uh, was based on this compromise. And so a lot of people reacted very negatively against the person who was challenging that compromise because I think the, the emotional sense was that challenging that compromise might undermine the foundation upon which everyone's rights are based. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, like, if you are a gay person and you want a haircut, why on earth would you ever decide to go to a conservative Muslim barber shop? You know, wouldn't you want to support people who support you, right? I mean, that's kind of how I would feel about it. I think that there's other places to get haircuts. Now, when it comes to being admitted to, say, the law society, having a career in law, there's not other places to do that except for the BC law society. So there are battles here. Um, you know, if gay people are being denied haircuts, period, lesbian women are being denied the right to wear their hair short in the way that they wanted to or chose to with that particular person's personal preferences, then that would be a problem. But I think we need to make some type of concession for people's own personal autonomy in terms of their viewpoints, even if we don't respect those viewpoints. Yeah, and I think that there is some kind of line drawn in between services that are performed on a body. Yeah, I mean, listen, that lady at the waxing salon, like, I completely can dig it if a lady is like, I don't want to touch balls today. Yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, I, I get that. I and mean, it doesn't matter who those balls are on, a man or a woman, you know, but I just well, don't want to touch them. They are, like, what their service really was, was vaginal waxing. Right. It was, a, it was a specific service that was designed for a customer with a vagina. Uh, and there's definitely other, like, salons that you can go to that perform Brazilians or whatever on everybody. Like, as long there, as there's is there? Yeah, there are. I'm okay. sure there are. I mean, I don't know if they called a Brazilian or, on yeah. male genitalia, sure. but, I mean, you can definitely you can get, get waxing yeah. services from somebody, maybe even somebody who has balls themselves and knows how to handle them. I mean, I don't think that if I had a set of balls, I don't think I would want a waxing esthetician who's never handled them before to handle mine for the first time. That seems very painful and dangerous. Yeah, it's, it's not a choice that I would make. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that being said, if this esthetician was discriminating against this particular woman based on the fact that she has male genitalia, I think that that is, of course, unacceptable, completely discriminatory, and should not be tolerated. You know, if she's willing to wax uh, a, a, a cis male, oh, a cis yeah. man's genitalia, but refusing to wax a trans woman's genitalia, then that is not okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a different issue, but I don't think that's yeah, and like if I if I were to walk into a bakery or a print shop and be denied service on the basis of my sexuality, I would be very pissed. Oh, for sure. Uh, but if I were to walk into a you know a women's only space uh, like a spa or uh, a women's only hair salon uh, and be denied service on the basis of my gender, uh, I, I'm like I think there is a very valid.
solid space for like gender exclusive spaces. Uh, mm -hmm. But that being said, Vancouver Reef Relief can just absolutely oh, yeah. beat it. Okay, that's not okay. That whole thing was not cool. Yeah, like no, no one. I don't think anyone here is cool with the first uh, trying to exclude every radical feminist. Absolutely not. Uh, but like my, my idea of a, a gender exclusive space is trans inclusive. Right. Like, guys can trans guys can come to the I don't know. Trans trans women are accepted into women's only yes. spaces. Right. There aren't a lot of like men only uh, like business establishments that I can think of. Other than I guess the barbershop in Toronto, but um, who's to say? I mean, I guess the question really boils down to would that esthetician have waxed that particular client's genitalia if they were a trans man who hadn't done body surgery yet? That's a different question, right? Yes. Yes, it is. So. Or the same question as a corollary. There you go. Uh, and I think as it shakes out. Oh, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that esthetician probably should have waxed a trans man's vagina had that man taken that esthetician up on their invitation to treat. Absolutely. A vagina is a vagina. On to the next. And the on final the drink, actually, in our rainbow. I'm really excited to try this one just because of exactly that. It's so pretty. I know, this color scheme's amazing. I actually took a picture of this hand and sent it to my graphic designer to ask if we could perhaps revamp our business cards in this color scheme. He was into it, but then I asked, is this too feminine? And he said, a tad. So we'll see what happens. I'd be fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> Geo Cider Company, dark fruit semi dried cider made with 100% Canadian apples, gluten free, as with all ciders. All ciders are gluten free? Like 99% of them, unless they're, before, unless they're like bottled in a facility that also does beer and doesn't clean things appropriately. That must be why hipsters love cider so much. I didn't know. I think hipsters love cider because it's higher in alcohol and gets it drunk faster. Oh my god. Ooh, that's how do you make noodles out of kale? I don't know, and I was like, is this gluten free? I don't think it was. I don't know. Are you gonna be okay? I'm gonna be okay. Okay, good. I'm not on a gluten free diet. Okay. Well, this is a smaller can than the others. It's a little bit more traditional in its size. Uh, our forefathers, forefathers, 355 millimeter, millimeter, milliliter cans. There's lots of editing today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's give this one a go. Geo cider, good, bad. Ooh, good. Oh, this is the best one that we've had. I think we have a winner without the Yeah, this is my favorite can. It's my favorite color. I love purple. And I think it's my favorite drink. Yeah, and this one. This is delightful. Yeah, I really is. like this. Geo Cider. I don't like that name, but. Yeah. The name doesn't even fit the cup. Sounds scary. Yeah. Geos? Geo? I don't know. I like it. Probably Geo. Your world, your adventure, your tribe. No, I hate, I hate that. Your world, your adventure, your tribe. That's horrible. That's horrendous. That's a horrendous <laughs> thing to have on the side of a cider can. I hate that. That actually taking it down a notch for me. The goal is to look at the can and not read it closely. Yeah. But it's really good. I really... On to our final. Homosexuality was decriminalized in 1969, 50 years ago. The slogan of Pride this week is 50 years and still fighting. That's a long time to be fighting. It is a long time to be fighting, but, you know, we've only been winning for, like, the last 10, 15 years or so. So, uh, in 1969, Bill 150 was passed by the federal parliament. Uh, but, of course, this did not get to in a marvelous era of gay rights. The 70s were not, you know, as fabulous as gay people across the land might wish them to have been. Uh, indeed... <laughs> Basically, uh, 1969 marked a ramping up of criminal charges for consensual gay sex uh, dramatically, uh, and Canada has been marked as a Beijing Republic. Okay, a nice. coin of lies. A coin of lies. Always. Always a coin of lies, isn't it? So, specifically, uh, there was an exception clause. Specifically, there was an exception clause added to the criminal code that outlawed homosexuality. Uh, instead, acts of gay sex were criminalized under various 19th century provisions, uh, and the reforms in 1969 dealt with two of them, buggery and gross indecency. Uh, these were not repealed. This exception clause was added that allowed two adults 21 years or older to commit these crimes, provided they did so in a strict definition of a private uh, space. Very. Yeah. The exception clause stated, sections 147 and 149 do not apply to any act committed in private between one, a husband or wife, or two, any two persons, each of whom is 21 years or more of age, both of whom consent to the commission of the act. For the purposes of subsection 1, an act shall be deemed not to have been committed in private if it's committed in a public place, or if more than two people take part or are present. My god, why is the government so obsessed with legislating sexual activity between consenting adults? When will the madness end? Yeah, I don't know. It hasn't ended. No, it's still going. It's still going. Not just for, of course, you know, LGBTQ community, but also with respect to sex workers. Uh, yeah, 
while Pierre Trudeau may have said there is no place for the state in the bedroom of the nation, he did apparently believe that there is a place for the state in the threesomes of the nation. Ha! <laughs> yeah, he must be in a threesome, say. I guess that tells us a lot. I think there is no way that that's the case. <laughs> there is no way that Pierre Trudeau was not in the threesomes. <laughs> Does not make any comment. So, this ushered in a, a series of charges for gay people, uh, a series of bathhouse raids uh, that continued all the way up until 2004. Moses. Which is ridiculous. 1,300 men were charged under the Bloody House Law uh, for being in a gay bar or bathhouse. Uh, they could not claim protection under the 1969 reform because more than two people were present in these places, even if they were behind closed doors. So... Wait, how did that shake out for a roommate situation? Um, well, this is actually one of the reasons why um, sorority houses were outlawed uh, up until, like, three years ago. You could not have a sorority house uh, that shared a bunch of women with a common bathroom because that met the definition of a common body house. Horrifying stuff. Yeah. You have to have a separate bathroom for uh, individual people because apparently women cannot be trusted to go to the bathroom with one another. Uh, what? This, is, this just sounds ridiculous. It's insane. It is insane. It's insane. It's very crazy. And it reinforces, I think, the need to be aware of same-sex uh, relationship discrimination, of, of anti-gay discrimination, of discrimination against women uh, in society as it exists today. Because many of these laws are still in the books, and many of them are still being enforced in new and deranged ways, but still fucking oppressive. Like, society doesn't become less oppressive because we all just get better. Society becomes less oppressive because we decide to get less oppressive and make a concerted effort to do so. Fight the power. Cheers to that. Cheers. And this might be a really great time to decide which of these drinks is our favorite. The Geocider. Oh, Love you're it. on top of the Geocider already. Okay. I, 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 can, I can rank them. I can do a little... This thing is gross. Love the can. <laughs> no, I can agree. Yeah, you do. You do. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna share my. Your ranking. My okay. Ranking. All right. Matthew is arranging the cans in a ranking order. Okay. All right, Matthew, you have ranked them from worst to best. Yes, from the bottom. Windfall cider, hail mary, rose cider. Gross. Did not like. Jameson's ginger and lime. Not a big fan of ginger. Not really his fault. Cod Creek's coastal blue. Cod Creek's Banfield bound. Truck 59 cider house raspberry hibiscus. Okanagan's harvest pear cider. And the geo cider dark fruit. Okay, what's your favorite? Well, we're doing rankings. I'm gonna dive in here and say that my least favorite of these was the Banfield Bound. After that, I think my least favorite will be the Hail Mary Windfall Cider. Then the Raspberry Hibiscus Truck 59 Cider House. Um, I'm gonna put the Jamesons in here next, even though I did like this. It's middle of the road for me because it's not actually really a cider, um, but it is easy drinking and I do like it. I would probably have it again, but it's nothing special. So it gets to be right, right in the middle. After that, I would say the Harvest Pear. Then I'm actually gonna go with the Coastal Blue. Right. And finally, the Geo Cider also has my top vote. Least favorite? Yeah, least favorite. There we go. Yeah. Both too sweet. Yeah, not my favorite. All right, well, there seems to be a bit of a consensus that uh, the Geo Cider is the greatest of the ciders. Mm -hmm. So, a Pride Cider. No, I'm not Pride. Uh, it's a Pride Cider with an absolutely horrible logo. Yeah. A Pride Cider delighter. Uh, <laughs> it's the Geo Cider Dark Fruit. A dark horse for all your dark fruits out there. Boom. Happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride. Don't, don't drink and drive. What if you do? <coughs> Call the Sarah Lehman Law Group at 604-900-9211 or email help at Sarah Lehman Law. That's help at S-A-R-A-H-L-E-A-M-O-N-L-A-W dot com.